Absolutely pumped. We have a very exciting episode to discuss today. Uh, thank you for everybody uh, that has been listening to Rising Giants for you know, the past year and a half now. We are very excited to release our 60th episode, Max. I mean, that's kind of crazy to think about how, how far we've come uh, in such a, what, what feels like, uh, you know, a long and short time at the, at the same time. I can't believe we found 60 people that want to talk to us. <laughs> especially and you know it's it's crazy but you know once you get started the ball gets rolling and it's very exciting to keep moving forward um so you know something that's definitely come up in a lot of recent discussions is uh through our question of what's been the most formative book that the entrepreneur investor creative has has read and surprisingly enough we have found a common theme in one of the books that's been coming up and it's in zero to one by uh, Peter Thiel. And what Max and I decided to do was to go ahead, read the book and try to understand a little bit more why these entrepreneurs and investors are really leveraging the ideas and the perspectives of, of Peter from this book into how they develop their business or look forward and thinking about how to make investments and look for companies that are you know truly going to be that that um, that unicorn or, or, or successful in you know the near, medium, and long term, and so kind of to kick it off, I, I think Max, if, if you could give us maybe just like a brief idea of you know, what is zero to one really, and what is just a kind of like the the key concepts or key summary that you could give our audience before we dive into some of the more point more. Um, specific points from the book yeah sure yeah so zero to one you know yeah by peter Thiel. that um you know is a very well-known entrepreneur and investor so it was part of paypal and then and went on to found uh founders fund which is a big vc firm that has backed pretty much most of all the big tech companies today um he's also a bit of a controversial figure um through palantir and uh, you know some of the uh, political stuff that he's got involved in but we're mostly focusing on you know, what he's done uh, from an entrepreneurial perspective. Um, the whole book, I mean, the whole actual, the title of the book, Zero to One, is really about taking something from, you know, basically not get going and actually inventing something that is completely unique and completely new and how you do that, um, as opposed to just trying to copy or um, adapt a business model. Um, so we think it's it's a book that's definitely very relevant for um for for any entrepreneur and he started off with a with a macro view and then he goes more into actually building uh a startup that would be defined as a zero to one startup that has really built something completely unique so yeah so he starts off with with his macro view and what he basically says in the beginning is he talks about these two main topics and one is about you not being a lottery ticket and the other one is about uh, how you understand the world and whether you understand the world through a definite indefinite or pessimistic optimistic lens so it's like a four way four ways to understand the world if you're a, you could be a definite optimist you could be a definite pessimist you could be an indefinite pessimist or an indefinite optimist he basically says the the trait of the zero to one entrepreneur is a definite optimist because you're optimistic about the future and so you're definitely able to plan for it and definitely able to build something that is substantial. And he basically says that today, 
Um, most of Europe would be defined as by indefinite pessimism. Most of China would be defined by definite pessimism. Um, it's an interesting one, but like, you know, them, them being always planning for the future, expecting, you know, expecting maybe negative things and always planning that out. For instance, that's what he says about China. And then for the USA, he says it's a uh, indefinitely optimistic place. But 50, 100 years ago, there was, there was a lot more definite optimism around. There's a lot more people that were really trying to build the future um, and really like focused on that. Um, so so th this is the concept that he, that he kind of introduces and then talks about, you know, some examples of definite optimists today. And I think the classic one that he, was, he talks about is someone like an Elon Musk um, that kind of sees a future that, that can be better than the present and, and goes forward with definitely trying to create that. And I also think, we, I would say like Southeast Asia is also an example of a region that you could define as um, generally optimistic and generally full of people that want to uh, build long-term plans. And that, that's, yeah, mm -hmm. that's, the, what, that's the thing that I think is interesting about this whole concept is like, you know, you, it, it's good to have long-term plans, but if you're not definitely optimistic, it's, you, you may not even um, go ahead with starting a, you know, startup for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely agree. And I wanted to kind of dive a little bit more into the the idea of you're not a lottery ticket because it is a really important concept that um, that, that Peter goes over. And, you know, if you think about it, it this is where Teal asked whether business success comes from luck or skill, you know, which is an important question, as we discussed earlier uh, before the start of the show, considering that the book is entirely about, you know, startups in the future. And you know, there are very successful people like a Warren Buffett, like a Jeff Bezos, who, uh, you know, humbly attributed their industry, you know, dominating businesses and their massive bank accounts to really just being in the right place at the right time. And, you know, I, from the book, it, they, they basically say that they won what was called the quote unquote, the cosmic lottery. But, you know, if we do take that at face value, then what's the point of really reading the book about startups in the first place, right? So, right. Uh, you know, this winning lottery ticket idea of businesses leads us, uh, you know, to like-minded, more important questions about the future in general. Like, is the future really a matter of chance or is it a matter of design? And, you know, people can believe either, can either believe in a, you know, a definite or an indefinite future. And, I, you know, an important quote from the book uh, that, that Teal wrote is, you know, if you treat the future as something definite, it makes sense to understand it in advance and to work and to shape it. But if you expect an indefinite future ruled by randomness, you'll give up on trying to master it. You know, similarly, you can also believe that the future will turn out one or two ways for better or for worse, you know, and based on these possibilities that Peter ever wrote out, you know, he, he proposes these four distinct views of the future, right? That you had just, you had just reviewed the indefinite pessimism, which is, you know, looking out to a, a bleak future with no idea of what to do about it. You know, definite pessimism, which is anticipating a bleak future and preparing to deal with it. Then indefinite optimism, which is anticipating a better future will evolve, but the, but with a little way of, how to specifically plan for it. And then the definite optimism, which is planning and working to build for a better future. And, you know, as we, you know, as we kind of look at it from the bigger picture, right. The, the truth is that we control uh, technology and this is 
that going back to the idea of what Peter was discussing too, is that, you know, we control technology, you know, technological development and we determine its trajectory and, you know, we have the power to use it to, um, you know, benefit human, humankind and things along those, you know, along those lines. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I, would, I, I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. I would say there's also two examples that I want to point out on these things, right? Mm-hmm. That, that I think, you know, make it seem that maybe bring it more into for people to understand. Like, you know, he gives the example of Jack Dorsey, who's a serial mm-hmm. entrepreneur and who says, you know, he says success is never accidental. And of course, that's quite a bold statement when you've got people like Gates and Buffett's being very strategically humble but you, mm-hmm. you have to sort of say okay so why would we have serial lots of serial entrepreneurs in the world mm-hmm. if um you know if success came from luck so i think that's right. it's one of the things that he kind of interjects in and says you know if you know if you have such a serial entrepreneur how can you explain their success by luck and then yeah mm-hmm. and on, on your point about um on the you know on the definite optimist he gives he gives the example of facebook um and you know basically Yahoo trying to acquire Facebook for a billion dollars in 2006. And, you know, the, the Facebook board at the time, which Peter Thiel was sitting on, um, you know, said, oh, we should really entertain this offer. We should really entertain it. And, and, you know, Mark Zuckerberg just literally walked in and said, yeah, we're not even discussing that. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not something we're looking at. And so, you know, so he was able to see the future and be definitely optimistic about it. And no way was he going to accept, you know, a billion dollar valuation when he could see 15 years, 20 years from now, Facebook could be worth 500 times that. And that's what right. it is worth today. Right. And just to continue on that point too, it's like a, a noble definite future requires some, this sort of like planning and preparation to it, like taking the Mark Zuckerberg vision, it, it requires vision and also kind of like this grand plan uh, to build a better and, and be- to build a better future. And it, like, another quote that kind of falls on the, from that, from the book is, you know, to a definite optimist, the future will be better than the present if he plans to make it better. You know, this firm belief, you know, leads to the abundance of ideas that seemed almost impossible and what we would call moonshots. And so, you know, kind of going on that point of um, the the book also, the example from the book that Peter had talked about with, with John Raber's um, discussing the, you know, the self-taught engineer and, um, you know, his, his grand plan for, uh, who proposed the plan to remake the geography of San Francisco and provide, you know, the, the fresh lakes and drinking water and up to, I think it was 20,000 acres of new development. You know, he, this person, this person had this grand plan, this idea, and a lot of people, even though he wasn't necessarily qualified, um, he still had people that believed in him and was able to get all the way up to, you know, the, the Congress level to have these kind of discussions. And it begs the question, you know, is, is something, can something like that happen today too, right? You know, one of, you know, one of the most, you know, highly prized traits a person or start can have today is, is being flexible, right? Um, you know, it's, it's really this, this idea of, okay, can, can just on a macro scale, are we playing more of the, safe side of things are we on this like indefinite attitude side of people that have grand plans and where you know if if in today's world can somebody have an idea like this and people want to follow up and and really push forward with it or is it that on a macro level are we going to keep playing it safe and 
um, you know, see, you know, tr- try and do as little as, you know, not to try to do as little as we can, but to try and, you know, minimize the amount of risk that we, you know, expose ourselves to on, on this macro scale. Mm. No, it's, it's very trendy, right, to say, you know, everything's random these days. You know, it's all, it's all very random. It's all very unpredictable. And we mm-hmm. can't really plan because, you know, it's hard to know what's going to happen, you know, one month in the future. So, you know, why even bother? We just should, you know, we should just uh, react um, mm-hmm. and not, not be proactive about building the future. But um, it's really only when you see these, these big examples of people that have actually gone ahead and done that do people get that recognition. But even mm-hmm. the likes of, a, let's say, a Musk, um, you know, he, he only really gets the recognition, like, you know, like today, right? But it took a really long time and a lot of, <laughs> a lot of people trying to take him down um him to actually you know achieve some of the things he wanted to achieve yeah it's fascinating too just as like a a side note during like during the early like early early 2000s where you know peter and peter saw that he needed to create that synergy with musk in order for them to to both survive and you know i mean look at look at how paypal has kind of had this offspring of very intellectual minds that have gone on to create, you know, like YouTube, Yelp, et cetera, like these kind of businesses that are, multi, you know, billion dollar plus businesses. I think there's like a group of you know, 10, you know, 10, 10 of these, uh, you know, 10, 10 of these people that have, have kind of spun off of the initial like PayPal mafia group and are now and right. You know, even even like people. LinkedIn, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tesla, Palantir, SpaceX, um, mm-hmm. Affirm, YouTube, Yelp. Yeah, I mean it's it's an example example of serial entrepreneurs, right? They they mm-hmm. they went and got something right, and then they were able to replicate that in in other areas. Yeah, and I wanted to get your quick opinion on this too, Max, because uh, you know I was was thinking a little bit more on just this you're not a lottery ticket, you know, overall concept and this indefinite, definite optimism, pessimism, and trying to tie it back to Cambodia and Southeast Asia as a whole. And I, I was looking first at. Uh, Cambodia and, you know, for, for today's startup ecosystem there, uh, you know, for me personally, I believe that there is a high level of optimism with those that are involved in the space through the creation of, you know, you can see through the creation of incubators, accelerators, you know, key real estate developments, such as the factory put on pen with, with Dr. Lee and, you know, providing an environment for startups and creatives to thrive. And also the increased interest from investors outside the country through ho- high profile funding such as the the recent deal with iCare for the $15 million facility with Helicat. Um, so I, I think there's like a strong level of optimism there. And you can, you can feel that when you're, when you're having these discussions with people. But for me, I, I do straddle this line of indefinite, this indefinite, definite fence. Um, as there are plans and policies that are being instituted towards friendlier startup and investment environments, you know, things like, uh, the law of investment in the kingdom of Cambodia that was um, enacted in 2021, right? And the increased interest from capital located in Singapore, 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 as you can see from uh, you know recent you know recent investments just in general. But the future roadmap is not yet clearly defined, and kind of seems like it's it's being created in the right way, but in a step by step fashion. So while the end goal isn't necessarily like there it's it's being created in like a in a more like step-by-step way um i don't know what your thoughts are on that 
Yeah, so I think, I mean, the question I think you're asking is like, do I, do, do I put myself or slash like, the, you know, the Cambodian um, startup uh, momentum or development like in the, in the definitely optimistic camp or the indefinitely optimistic camp? Mm-hmm. Or yeah, if you, yeah that or if you, if you, if you feel the, the pessimism, go ahead and uh, bring it on too. Right? <laughs> We're open for that discussion. Honestly, there's, <laughs> no, I, th- I honestly think, um, you know, there's a reason I came uh, to this part of the world, right? Like you just have to, I mean, of course, I, the situation in Europe today is not, is not something um, that we'd ever want to happen, right? But, but it, it's, it's a region that has hit some forms of stagnation, um, you know, both from a demographic perspective, from a debt perspective, um, you know, and, and just, you know, general competitiveness and, and sort of technology and innovation. And so, you know, I think Southeast Asia is, is the region where um, you're seeing the most kind of resilient, uh, resilient, like push put forward. Um, and I think within that, you know, Cambodia is a country that is really starting to get a lot more attention, especially as the entire region um, just, you know, uh, comes up as well. So, so yeah, I mean, I think it's really, I think it's sector specific and it's company specific. There are some, you know, really great examples of people that are just, you know, willing to just get stuck in and and, and build fantastic companies. But then there are some other people that are a little bit more cautious with that. And Max, in the broader region of Southeast Asia, you know, for me, there are many signs and indications pointing towards this definite optimism. You know, this includes Southeast Asia's population embracing the tech industry and just digital transformation in general. You know, the increase of STEM education spending, something that we discussed with Richard Yim from Quantum recently on the show and how you know, he's working towards creating policy specifically in Cambodia towards um, more of this funding into you know, STEM and science sectors and low cost of living, um, you know, making the region of skilled workforce affordable. And this is compared to the massive valuations we have seen in like Silicon Valley, especially in recent years. You know, the, the Southeast Asian tech ecosystem is, you know, viewed to have the market valuations that are almost, you know, 30 to 40% lower than those in the U.S. And just lower regional startup costs in general, getting it off the ground. So, you know, for me personally as well, uh, you know, I, I do, I remain like very optimistic about the long-term perspective for startups in Southeast Asia, even like throughout all this recent market volatility that's going on. And, you know, looking, uh, you know, looking at the long-term again, uh, in terms of like technology metrics, um, you you've seen this like continue to grow within the region. And you know, looking at Southeast Asia's you know main countries right now that are producing, such as like Vietnam, Indonesia, and Malaysia, um, they, they will continue to motor ahead. Uh, you know, after this post-pandemic um, era, and then you know, in addition with the bounce back of tourism, it's very exciting times ahead for the region. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. Yeah. Fully agreed with you on that. Um, I think it's a good it's a good transition for us to this like next part of the book where he really dives into uh, building a startup that would have like zero to one features. And the first the first like few questions he tries to ask is is this this sort of concept about building things that are um, that are being like overlooked or undervalued. And so the questions that he posits and like puts to people, he basically says, you know, what important truth do very few people agree with you on? Uh, what valuable company is nobody building? What is forbidden or taboo? Where is no one else looking? And what secrets are people or nature not telling you? And so, but yeah, for, for us, this was quite a, 
yeah, quite quite a quite a big thing, and you know, quite a lot of impact um, for for me. You know, thinking about some of the the people that we've talked to on the podcast, uh, you know, building some unique companies um, and really just some, sometimes being first movers in in some of the sectors that they're in, and uh, you know, maybe are doing things that are controversial. Um, so, so it just yeah, so it just reminds me of things like breakthrough technologies, like you know, things like blockchain in Cambodia. Um, for example, is something that's very new to the country, and uh, you know, you know, I mean, pretty new for like companies to be launched in in that sector in in the country, and so uh, just just made me think about a few few entrepreneurs that are that are that are you know going forward with with those kinds of things. Yeah, and kind of just tying it back to the book and speaking a little bit more on it, you know, thinking about what his answer is. You know, the what, what he says is that it's technology, not globalization, that will be the driving force of the world in the future. Progress is technology. Progress in technology is invention, which means creating something that wasn't there before or going from zero to one. The whole basis of, of the book, right? So basically, you know, progress and globalization means duplication. And so, or on the other hand, means duplication. And so really one of the things that he goes on saying as well is that developing countries will simply catch up to developed countries, but the world will become unsustainable. And that instead we need technolo- technology breakthroughs to continue the progress that we've enjoyed since the industrial revolution. So really thinking about it from that perspective, it's, you know, maybe the answer to this question could be around how Cambodia truly, truly is Southeast Asia's next highest potential market compared to neighboring partners, right? <laughs> given the fact sheet of, you know, fastest growing young population at 25 years old university at, you know, university, the massive university educated students in the science and STEM fields and engineering and government focus on investment, startup pol- friendly policies. And you know, one of the highest internet penetration in the world, it's kind of hard to argue that how Cambodia could not be right. So <laughs> just a fun way to look at it. Yeah. Not biased. No, at all, I agree. Though. Not biased, not biased at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And um, what, what did you think then, about his chapter about the, um, the the mechanics of mafia? Maybe you want to jump into that part as well. That I mean, I guess that's kind of the next step for, you know, once you've got this sort of breakthrough idea and breakthrough, um, you know, generally maybe a technological idea, what is, you know, what is the next step? And, and is that, you know, building a, you know, a great team? Right. So kind of the idea too is we're joking about this right before we, hit the record button, but, um, <laughs> asking if you want to run your startup like a cult, right? <laughs> Is it a cult or family? It depends how you want to describe it. But while like a cult might seem a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, off putting you know, there, there really is the idea of how the PayPal mafia kind of came together and what are really the mechanics of this mafia. And there, there's five key parts to it. Um, the, the first one would be quite bluntly put, don't create crap. And, um, you know, one of the, one example that, um, that I came across that I thought was a really good representation of it was back Steve Jobs. that once said to Mark Parker, this CEO of, of Nike, um, after he was asking him for some advice about, you know, what, what to do about the product, he, Steve Jobs had said, you know, Nike makes some of the best products in the world products that you lust after absolutely beautiful absolutely stunning 
but you also make a lot of crap. Just get rid of all the crappy stuff and focus on the good stuff. And while like this was super blunt, you know, this idea of, you know, you, even if you don't have necessarily the funds to create the kind of content or product that you want to ultimately create uh, for other people, it still doesn't mean that you can't bring quality of that content or product in the best way of your capacity. So, you know, taking the Rising Giants example, right, you know, we're entirely self-funded. We don't have any sort of outside funding that's coming in to help, you know, elevate our, you know, our, our media platform to, you know, become the next you know, CNBC or NBC or something along these lines, right? But on the other hand, the, the quality of content that we're focused on releasing and creating is specifically for those who, who want to learn more about this startup. Uh, ecosystem who want to learn about the investment opportunities that are within the country. I mean, even within the region too, just like these macro ideas. So, you know, to our best of our ability, we will, we do cut and produce the content for that may be uh, in, in those people's eyes valuable. And that's really what this first point of like, don't create crap is, is about. Um, you know, the second one is let everyone handle one thing. So, you know, if you think about it, if you bring on a lot of people early, right, it, and a problem arises, you have to think about how, you know, can this one person, you know, if the problem arises, who is it that can step up and take care of the problem? And kind of is this whole idea of not hiring ahead of time, but making sure you hired the right people up front to be able to hand these, handle these evolving problems. And in the same sense, being able to hire at the right time for when you know your business is going to get to a certain level. And it's, it's best to bring on that person, that, that, right person with that uh, right type of background or expertise, whatever it may be. Uh, learning how to bribe is the third part. So while that does sound a little bit um, like corrupt or convoluted, the idea is that when you're starting, when you're creating a startup early on, the idea is that you want to make sure that if you're going to bring on the right people, you have to provide them with the proper incentives. So if you're creating a technology product or a, a digital platform, right, an application that requires, you know, heavy technical experience or developer experience, then more than likely what the idea that you should fall through with is, okay, maybe you know, we should provide a higher amount of equity to bring on these developers versus giving maybe a non-technical founder like a, a marketing expertise or, or someone that has that kind of expertise, um, you know, a, a, a lot more equity, Right. So this is a very basic example, but the idea is that make sure that you compensate those that are very key and integral in the development of your startup early on versus versus those that may not be not to say that they're not as important, but maybe their expertise aren't needed to be leveraged in those early stages for the startup to succeed. The fourth part of it would be, you know, you should be family. And really this idea is uh it's kind of like, you know, you, you want to make sure that you're, you get along with your business partner, or whoever your startup founders are, uh, you know, not only as, as friends, as business partners, but also thinking of it from a family perspective too. Um, and then the last one is understanding your startup's purpose. While that's, you know, while that seems like maybe the most obvious, it is one that consistently needs to be, in, in my opinion, needs to be consistently revisited too, right? Uh, you know, just making sure that, both you and your founders or you know, your early stage team are all aligned in figuring out what it is that you're trying to accomplish and what's, what's the point of your company. And 
you know, if, if it is something where you're just making an iteration of, of another business, right? Just making sure that you need to have a clear vision of what is the value that you're providing. So I know that was uh, quite a, quite a little bit, but that's the idea of what the mechanics of a mafia would be like. And like, a, like, like we discussed earlier, right? Is rising giants a cult or is rising giants a, a family, family fun run media company up for you to decide Max? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I also want to add to that. Like for me, some of the parts that really stood out about, you know, that, that um, section of the book is that you know it's also about like how you how you recruit people and how you get the right people in and this one sentence that he said was you know you basically have to i mean obviously the first four or five people that you bring in you've got to give them a large amount of equity um and you've got to um you've also got to give them a lot of responsibility um but then the next lot will normally be motivated by mission and and the way you kind of communicate this is you've got to say you know this is an opportunity to do irreplaceable work on a unique problem alongside great people and you know and also this this concept of total dedication and saying you know total dedication is needed and basically the best startups are less extreme kinds of cults um that's basically what he says is like and also then the you know the last thing on that is he also says you know in this concept of founding matrimony it's like obviously it's really important to have good like good technology uh, skill sets and good like someone that someone that can build and someone that can sell and that's really important to have those complementary skill sets but what is even more important is how well the founders know each other and how well they work together like do they actually really love spending time together because they're going to be spending 60 70 percent of their waking hours doing this stuff so you know <laughs> if you really want to get stuck in and so i think this is one of these things that that people don't quite you know, there's this concept in business or sometimes it's like, oh, you just, you know, you don't have to get on with who you work with. You should just, you know, you should just, um, you know, you work with them. And, you know, but but I, but I think what he's basically saying is, you know, in a startup, no, that that you can't think like that. Um, it's a little bit, it's a lot more intense. And you've got to be, you know, you've got to be ready for that intensity. Go on that point with like the founding, of, like the founding matrimony piece, you know, choosing a co-founder is like getting married, right? You know, if if the founder if the founders develop some sort of differences between each other that just you know that they can't be they can't be fixed, then really the the company ultimately becomes collateral. You know, and um, kind of some of the suggestions and ideas is that you know founders should share a prehistory before they start a company together. Otherwise, it's just rolling the dice. You know, if there is some sort of at least some sort of foundational you know, understanding of who this person is like as a, as an actual individual, maybe outside of work and just making sure that not only is it, you know, alignment on businesses, but morals and values too. I mean, there, it's a, there, there are a lot of pieces um, to making sure that if you're going to go, if you're going to be on the bus with this person for the long term, you have to make sure that you're aligned on very like core pieces of that. You know, um, another thing that was, that came up too in the book is, you know, a startup, a startup that's messed up at its foundation cannot be fixed. Right. So, you know, you have to make sure that choosing founders or even those early stage or those early on employees, you have to be just very, very careful about it. And, you know, you need to make sure that you not only get along, but you understand each other. And this kind of goes back to the creation of an advisory board too, right? So in order to reduce that sort of misalignment or the possibility of 
um, you know, it, you know, disagreements that cannot be, you know, that cannot be fixed, then you need to make sure that at least at the beginning stages, you keep, you keep it small, right? You keep your board small, whether it's you know, three to five people or whatever it is that, yeah. Uh, something that's at least under five people so that early on you make sure that you focus on um, thinking of, you know, focusing on keeping, you know, not too many cooks in the kitchen, should I say. And then, yeah. you know, he you, says you, optimum, you want... Yeah, the optimum board is is three people. Mm-hmm. And uh, you are also your point about, you know, the bus, right? He also says this whole thing about how, you know, you should get everyone off the bus who's not full-time. Mm-hmm. And that's quite, you know, that's quite controversial, right? He's basically saying consultants don't work. Um, and you shouldn't, you should not treat a business, um, mm-hmm. you know, in this kind of, you know, as being able to hire consultants. Of course, that's probably a tough thing for some people to hear who listen to to Rising Giants, right? Who who are doing side hustles and they've still got full-time jobs. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that, yeah, that's one that I definitely, I think, you know, I don't know if I'm like fully 100% on that. Um but mm-hmm. I think at least for, you know, at least for a majority of the team or, you know, it, yeah, it, I'm, I'm actually unsure on that one. I think it's possible to, you know, to start something, you know, you know, in, in, at the small stages, you know, not in a full time capacity. But then once you're ready to go, everyone's got to go full time at the same time. I think that, that's yeah. kind of how I how I'd frame it. Yeah, I mean, it's true, right? Like n- no one has unlimited money, right? <laughs> Except maybe the U.S. government, I don't know, but it's, uh, but it's a, but it's 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 the idea of you have to, you, you have to figure out that balance of what works best in, in your life to be able to accomplish that goal, right? You know, you, you do we. It feels like at times we do, dramatize or you know glorify the tv shows or videos of people that have just completely dropped everything or the stories of you know people that have completely dropped everything and went all in one 110 right well in order to to get there in the first place right you have to you have to have some sort of capital to be able to either put towards you know personal development whether that's you know paying for courses or classes or if it's you know you have to pay for product development on some side, if you're building an application or even a tangible product, right? You have to have capital to be able to put towards that. And really a lot of times it's people's savings in, in a more Western, you know, in a more Western world, right? There's also the, the addition of business loans, right? Where you know, people can like quote unquote easily go and get a business loan. If you have a certain amount of, um, you know, if you have a certain amount of collateral that you're able to, to put up with that too. So it's, so really, I agree that it is a very, it's a very, the the ideology behind it is is right because most times most people want to commit one hundred and ten percent to the idea and give everything they have, but in in practice, it's almost it, it can be extremely difficult to do that. I just wanted to touch on a few of the last like things that he mentions that I think the audience would. Um... Would, would maybe find interesting to hear um one other chapter that i that i really liked was you know this basically this chapter all about if you build it will they come and uh short answer for for, for teal is basically no um and you know you really need to have a focus on distribution and sales as a startup um you can't just you know you can't just engineer something and expect everyone to come right um so he says you know superior sales can create a monopoly with no product differentiation, but the converse is not true. Um, 
So I, I, I found that pretty, pretty interesting as well. Um, and then also his concept about, about monopolies and how monopolies, uh, do downplay their monopoly status. And, uh, I also, also, uh, find that interesting His his framing of like some of the best companies that we know today focused on monopolizing a small market in the beginning. So whether it's Amazon and books or Tesla and, you know, electric vehicle, sports cars, that that's what, that's what they focused on in the beginning. And of course, you know, a big focus on distribution and sales. So those were the other two points that I, I wanted to mention. Yeah. I mean, with the monopoly aspect, right. It's, you know, if you are, you know, taking the Google, taking Google, right there, it's just about how you want to position yourself in terms of gaining the most market share, right. You know, Google is a pretty wide, uh, you know, what it does as a company is pretty, uh, it's pretty wide in its reach, right? But positioning itself as an advertising company versus, you know, an, an internet platform is, you know, you have two completely different market segments, or sorry, market shares that you're trying to go after. And in short, I mean, they they pretty much were able to kind of slip into this monopoly idea and be able to frame their brand and their vision around it. So for me, I mean, it's, I think with the monopoly aspect and thinking about your business, it's maybe the biggest takeaway from here is that if, if something seems too obvious as to where your business may fall into in terms of market share, maybe take a step back after you do some sort of early you know, early stage product market fit tests and see if there's maybe a different angle that you can go into and uh, maybe a different sort of market that may be not not obvious that you can be able to penetrate that has, you know, next to zero competition or if there is already, you know, incumbents within the space that may just be not necessarily doing it to the highest optimal level. Um, That's just my perspective on the monopoly aspect of it. Yeah, no, I think I think the way he actually sums up this entire thing is it, well, he says, you know, he says, you know, there's like seven or eight questions that you try and ask yourself as a, as a startup, right? The monopoly question is, are you starting with a big share of a small of a small market? Um, mm-hmm. You know, the engineering question we discussed, are you creating breakthrough technology? Is it the right time to start the business? Um, do you have the right team? Do you have the right sales? Like, can you create and deliver your product? Um, you know, have you identified a unique opportunity? And And then lastly, is it? Is it defensible in 10, 20 years? Um, right. So I think that kind of ties it together a little bit. And um, yeah, these are just, yeah, some of the main the main concepts. I really enjoyed reading the book and it's, it's definitely given me a lot to think about in, in the context of startups in general, Southeast Asia, Cambodia. Yeah. So I really recommend everyone who's a startup founder, definitely read this book. It's only, it's only about 150, 200 pages and it's one of those ones that, you can't put down it just you just it, go through it yeah it's not it's not like it's not very dense either right it, it's just it's which is a lot of which is kind of like off-putting for a lot of these you know startup entrepreneur founder books that are maybe suggested you're like oh my gosh am i reading like a textbook in my free time but this one is is genuinely you know thought-provoking very um you know it, very much relatable right and it breaks down and you know peter Thiel is one of the greatest minds when it comes to you know building a business that you know kind of walking the walk and talking the talk right so it's you know if there's if there's a better book that 
that's out there, please let us know. Um, but this is, you know, personally, it's, it was a fantastic read and looking forward to opening it back up again in the near future and maybe having another discussion around it on, on more specific ideas and concepts. Yeah. There's a, there's a few others I think that keep popping up. So we're, we're keeping track of them as well. And hopefully we try and do a few more of these, but this was one that just kept coming up. So we figured we've got to, yeah. we've got to read it and talk about it. Um, <laughs> Spoiler. <yeah>. Good to great. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yes. Yeah, so I was going to say that one is, uh, it's also a good one, but a lot more dense that, yeah, a lot more dense. As you say, this, this book is, uh, is very readable. You can, yeah. you can just brush through it. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Well, I think in, in that case, we can probably close it out for this this quick and short review on, on Zero to One. We're super excited. And you know, if you have any comments or any questions or just anything in general, please feel free to reach out to Max or I. And you know, we're looking forward to continuing to hit this next Q3 and Q4 strong with uh, a lot of very exciting updates. And we'll be sure to keep everyone in the loop of what's going on.